Yeah, it's been a while, a bit rusty. How about I pray? Father God, we thank you for uh, your wonderful word. We thank you that uh, we can see from eyewitness accounts um, what you did on earth, uh, what the Lord Jesus um, accomplished. We pray that we would have ears to hear this morning and uh, may you speak through me. Um, and if I get things wrong, may your Holy Spirit take over and, um, and give the true meaning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, believe, oh, by the way, my name's Rod. I'm a parishioner here, so um, it's good to see you this morning. Believe it or not, but those helpful little headings at the start of each Bible passage weren't actually there when the Bible was written. Uh, in more recent times, some clever person has tried to come up with a heading that sums up the passage in a few words. Our passage today has the heading, Jesus Feeds the 5,000 which is a pretty good one to describe this particular miracle. But after reading the passage a number of times, that's not what I would call it. You see, although the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is miraculous and significant, it's almost a sideshow to the story of the characters involved. There is so much more going on in this passage than feeding more than 5,000 men and women and children. I almost have to apologise up front because if someone who isn't here today comes and asks you during the week, what was the sermon like on Sunday? This is what you might say. You know, it's funny, Rod spoke for about 20 minutes on the feeding of the 5,000, but he didn't really talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And why would I? We've all read it before, haven't we? It's pretty straightforward. Large crowds of people, it's late in the day, far from town, Jesus had compassion on them. He gives thanks to God and turns five loaves and two fish into enough food for 5,000 men, not including women and children, with plenty left over. It's an amazing miracle, and on such a large scale. And if you're like me, you, you actually wonder how on earth those bits of food became food for so many. It's simply the miraculous. It's a miracle. But like I said, it's almost a sideshow to what is happening in the overall story of Jesus, the disciples and the crowds. I would call this passage, Kingdom First, Rest and Food Later. I admit it's not quite as iconic as the current title, but bear with me. We are going to look at today's passage through the eyes of the characters involved. So the disciples, the crowds, and then Jesus. Before we dive into our newly titled passage, though, let's get some context on where we are at in Mark and the time and place that it's set. Make sure you have your Bible open, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you want to do a quick dash and get one so you can read along. There is no outline, there is no outline today, and there's not many slides, so hang in there. As we heard from John last week, that's the person, not the gospel, uh, Mark has written an action-packed roller coaster ride of Jesus' three-year ministry on earth. He has told the story in a way that continually asks the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Please read with me in chapter 1. Without any delay, after Jesus' baptism and temptation, 
He makes his grand entrance to commence his ministry by, by proclaiming in Galilee, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's in verse 1, verse 15, sorry. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And before chapter 1 is finished, Jesus is already stating the reason he has come. Not wanting to stand still, Jesus tells his newly found disciples in verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. From that time until chapter 6, Jesus has been preaching, performing miracles and driving out demons in his home region of Galilee. At the start of chapter 6, Jesus and the disciples are back in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth in the hills to the west of the Sea of Galilee. After teaching there, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith and says, only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own people, so in his own house, is a prophet without honour. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to himself. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So this is the first time the disciples are sent out on their own. He's sending them out on their first missionary journey by themselves in six groups of two. And in verse 8, there were his, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not, not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It's not clear how long the disciples' mission throughout the towns and the villages of Galilee lasted. The region of Galilee had around 204 villages and cities at that time. So it could have been up to nine months if they spent a week in each place. We do know, however, that it finished just before the Passover, exactly one year before where Jesus went to the cross. So where we pick up in chapter 6, verse 30, it's exactly a year before Jesus went to the cross. So we pick up in today's passage at verse 30, in chapter 6. Jesus and the disciples have gathered back together, probably in the village of Bethsaida, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it up there on the, on the map. You've got, that's the whole Galilee region. You've got Nazareth over there on the west, Bethsaida up there. And the scene today is in that top, top northeast corner. Sorry. So we're on the, we're on the, north, we're on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's springtime. And the surrounding hills are covered in green grass, which in verse 39, it would have looked something like this. Sorry about the green, it doesn't really come out that well, but it's not what I would have pictured. I would have pictured desert, which is there, but it's green, green grass. It's a lovely description you get, isn't it, when you, when you read an eyewitness account, it talks about the green grass. So the first, first characters we're going to look at are the disciples. Read with me in verse 30. 
The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. The disciples have a, a big debrief with Jesus and are hungry for a meal and some rest. Jesus' words must have been music to their tired ears. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Ah. After some months on the road, Jesus' suggestion to give them that rest must have been a great relief. But, both, but those plans for a quiet rest would soon be put on hold by thousands of people hungry to hear Jesus. He teaches them many things and it's getting late in the day. All that talk of food and rest sounds even better now. So in verse 36, the disciples, the disciples suggest to Jesus that the crowd should move on and check out the good restaurants back in town. You get the sense that the disciples are a bit impatient. They just wanted to get away from the crowds and share a meal with Jesus. And that was a good thing. But as we read in chapter 1, Jesus' priority is to, teach, is to preach the good news. That is why he has come. Kingdom first, rest and food later. About two months ago, I was on a business trip up at Ballina for a few days and flew back to Sydney on a Friday evening. I fought peak hour traffic getting out of Sydney and was tired. I also had to do some shopping for men's ministry uh, event that was on that following night. Looking for, I was looking forward to having a quiet dinner at home and watching a movie with Serena and the kids. About 30 minutes from home, I got a text message from Serena saying that they're, a friend, that they're at a friend's place having dinner and to come over when I get back. My plans for a quiet night at home had been foiled. At once, I started thinking how I might be able to delay my journey home. <laughs> so I was too late and I would just stay home. I'll need, I will need to put some of the shopping in the freezer at home, so that will delay me a bit. I had a crack at a few other excuses, but I just, I just couldn't do it. In the end, I, th I thought about this passage in the lead up to preaching this sermon, about Jesus' priorities and what a hypocrite I would be if I didn't go. So I did, and I had a great time. I wasn't preaching the good news that night, but we are trying to show that family the love of Jesus. Like the disciples, we can seek to retreat to the rest that we convince ourselves we need sometimes. Sometimes it's at the expense of an opportunity to share Jesus' love with someone, go to Bible study, or have fellowship with someone. Does your desire for rest or alone time cause you to retreat from fellowship or loving others? Jesus knows that we need rest, but sometimes he says, wait, I have something better. Let's now turn to our second group of people, the crowds. There were many thousands of people where Jesus and the disciples uh, now were, most likely in the town of Bethsaida. We read in verse 31 that, this re that the reason they travelled by boat to a quiet place <coughs> was because there were so many people coming and going around them that they did not have a chance to eat. The disciples had now become victims of their own success. These huge crowds of people had come from all the towns in the region 
as a result of their mission work over the last couple of months or more. These people had been hearing the call to repent of their sins, watching the disciples draw that many demons and healing the sick with the authority that Jesus had given them back in verse 7. The news that the crowds were hearing and seeing was so good that they wanted more and had followed them from all over Galilee. The crowds were hungry for the good news. They were hungry for Jesus. Their hunger was so great that they ran. Yes, they ran around the Sea of Galilee so that they could follow Jesus and meet them wherever the boat landed. That's a lot of very desperate people. These crowds ran, along with thousands of other people, probably in sandals, a few kilometres around a lake to hear someone speak. Running wasn't their favourite pastime either, but their effort paid off because they got to the quiet place ahead of Jesus and the disciples. The crowds needed and wanted to hear the good news Jesus had for them. They didn't come for food, but they got fed anyway. They came to hear Jesus preach the good news firsthand, to hear about repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the coming of the kingdom of God. Do we think the good news is still good? So good that people are prepared to go running to hear it? Or do we think it's only okay news? that people should only hear if it's dragged out of us. About two years ago, I was at a Christmas drinks function for a legal firm that our company uses. I was speaking with one of the firm's partners who I deal with a lot, my boss, and a person from a government department who is also a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure how we got onto the topic, but my legal friend starts saying to the government contact, you know what, I've known you for years and we have spent a lot of time together through work and socially, and not once have you ever tried to convert me. As he was saying this, I looked on in shock, and then he turned to me, pointed his finger at me while holding his drink, and said, and neither of you. I was speechless. After a long silence, I said something like, Uh, I I guess I hadn't thought you wanted to hear about Jesus. He went on to say that if it's that important that it changes the way you live, why don't you tell others about it? My legal friend had a good point. If the message of Jesus is really good news and changes and shapes our whole life, then why don't we share it more often? We may not have crowds running to us like Jesus did by the Sea of Galilee, but they still need to be fed the good news. Finally, let's look at how Jesus reacts to this huge crowd of people who are eager to hear him preach the good news. Near the start of the passage, in verse 31, due to all the crowds in town, Jesus is the one who suggests that he and the disciples go to a quiet place and get some rest. He could obviously see that they needed it and led them away to do so. But we read in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Is there any other response that Jesus, the good shepherd, would have on a a flock of lost looking sheep? His immediate reaction is compassion for the lost, those who are stuck in sin and don't know the way to his father. 
In line with his priorities, Jesus teaches them, teaches the crowds many things. Then we read in verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. I don't think the disciples were expecting that response from Jesus. They were trying to shoo the crowds away so that they could get their much anticipated rest and food. Jesus again had compassion on them. And after feeding them spiritually with his preaching, he wants to feed their physical hunger and provide them with food. His priority is preaching, but his compassion is for their basic physical needs as well. Jesus couldn't stand by while there were thousands of hungry people before him. The disciples wanted it to be someone else's problem back in town, but Jesus' compassion meant he couldn't walk past the problem. It's the good news followed up by love and action. So what do we take away from this miracle, this miracle meal? Now that I have almost ignored it completely. It won't be 12 baskets full. I'll give it to you in three takeaway containers. But first, how about we ask the question that Mark keeps asking throughout the whole gospel? Who is this man? Who can feed over 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish? Only God can. Jesus again shows that he is the son of God. He is the good shepherd and provider of our spiritual and physical needs. I said at the start, the title I would give this miracle is Kingdom First, Rest and Food Later. Okay, it's a rubbish title. And you'll see it, you won't see it appear in the Bible anytime soon. But it is the priority that Jesus had for his ministry and it's a good way of remembering what our priority should be. What can we learn from the characters in this passage? Have you got your containers ready? First one. What can we learn from the disciples? Kingdom first, rest later, or seek first the kingdom. The disciples wanted rest and a meal, but Jesus had other priorities. His priority was the kingdom and that people were right with him before our physical needs. A verse that I often turn to which speaks to this theme is Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That being food, clothes, etc. Jesus isn't saying that rest, food and other things we need are not important or necessary. He wants us to seek him first and the other things will fall in behind. In our busy culture today, a question to ask ourselves could be, in my leisure or rest, sorry, is my leisure or rest squeezing out my time for spending time with Jesus, serving others, Bible study, church or fellowship. The crowds. The good news is still good. The crowds were desperate to hear the good news from Jesus. Are the people we know also desperate to hear the good news, but we just don't think they're interested? The embarrassing rebuke from my legal friend at the Christmas drinks gave me a good lesson in not making assumptions. Sometimes we need... So sometimes we just need to have a go. 
couple of weeks later during my Christmas holidays that year, I wrote a letter to my legal friend thanking him for his rebuke and apologised for not sharing the, the good news of Jesus with him. I also gave him a copy of the book More Than a Carpenter. We have talked since, but I don't think he has yet put his trust in Jesus. Jesus saving people and forgiving their sin is still good news and people need and want to hear it. So let's pray about it and speak it without fear. The Holy Spirit does all the hard work. We just need to be the messenger. And Jesus, you give them something to eat. Jesus' loves, uh, so Jesus love and compassion didn't allow him to walk past those in need or make it someone else's problem. If we are Jesus' disciples, we also shouldn't walk past those in need. We should be prepared to be the answer to the need we see. This is something that I struggle with when there is so much need around us, let alone around the world. Where do you start? A good piece of advice that I heard from a previous minister was to walk, through, to walk slowly through a crowd. In our busy world, it's easy to, be, to, to simply get from A to B as fast as we possibly can and wave as we fly by. If you walk slowly through a crowd, you see more and have the opportunity to engage with the need that is, it is there. If we slow down, we might see the need better and we might just hear Jesus saying, you give them something to eat. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can read now, uh, many, many years later, what you did on earth. Father, we pray that we would indeed seek your, your kingdom first and trust that uh, you will provide the other things. We pray that you would help us to have compassion on those around us. And we pray that we might, um, yeah, we might have the, uh, the, the boldness to, to preach um, your word to those around us, the good news uh, that still is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.